Okay, wonderful. And of course, some of you will have noticed the obvious irony that the day that we have a full band is the day that God prompts James to do six minutes of silence. <laughs> We've been waiting to get a full band back on stage, the sound and leading us in worship. And, but God chose a different method today as well as our band who were wonderful. Thank you uh, so much. Um, we're looking at a new series, a series we started last week, and a series on hallmarks, looking at the things that remain, the things that are trustworthy and true. Oh, I forgot, James, um, our little kids are going out, so if you've got a small child with you, creche age, which is naught to two and a half, the door's that way, and two and a half up, there's a load going, going up to sort of four, four-ish, then that's the door to go through with that day. And um, there's a little crowd gone. They're going to have a party upstairs, aren't they? Anyway, we've got a new, new theme that we're looking at, Hallmark. And we're looking at things that remain, things that are reliable, trustworthy, and true. And as we're looking ahead through this year, we're, we're excited for what is going to happen in the year and excited for what's going to happen around the world. But we're aware that there'll be some ups and maybe they'll be very up and there'll be some downs, and we don't quite know how far down they're going to go, but there'll be some ups and there'll be some downs, and we want in the context of all of that to be able to base our lives on things that are true and trustworthy and reliable. And uh, so we're doing a little series uh, through January and into February looking at some of these things, and, and I've kicked us off by talking last week about faith, and today I want to talk about hope, and you'll guess what I'm going to speak about next week. Um, because it's on the screen. It's going to be love uh, next week. But this week is looking at hope. And hope is a wonderful thing. It's the stuff of inspiring films. Uh, Andrew, you're going to see a film tonight, aren't you? Is that right, tonight? And uh, I know you're welcome if you like watching films to go with Andrew. Um, He opens the opportunity anytime he goes to see a film at the cinema, or most times. And tonight he's seeing 1917. Is that the one? So there's a film, I think it's a war film, and he's meeting at 8 o'clock. So there's an announcement in the middle of the preach. If you want to see Andrew and go and watch a film, you can do. Um, And there's often those moments where in a film, it it looks bleak, doesn't it? You get to know the character. I'm not going to give the film's game away because I haven't seen it. But generally speaking, in most films, you you get to know the characters. You get to empathize with them and relate with them. and, And it looks okay, and then it looks bleak. And hope seems to be lost. And there's a moment when... Hope returns. And I, I quite like that trajectory. I must confess I feel robbed if hope feels gone and it just ends bleakly. And just Oh, well, that was great, wasn't it? What do we do now? Because I like the lift at the end. And we kind of get used to that curve of emotion as we're going through and watching a film. And, and hope's a, a good thing. It's a terrible thing when it's gone, when hope is lost. And we, we use the word hope for all sorts of things. We use it in quite a light and frivolous way. I hope you have a nice day tomorrow. I hope your weekend's nice. I hope you enjoy your meal. I hope the weather's good. But we kind of throw it around, don't we? Meaning just, oh, I've got a nice feeling about positive things. Best wishes. It's that sort of feeling almost. But when the Bible comes to look at hope, it's much deeper. And actually, I think that echoes our own experience because when people look for hope, they look for it in all sorts of places. And they pin their hopes on all sorts of things. Uh, many people pin their hopes on their appetites or their experiences, kind of the top picture at the top left, um, not just food, but thrills and enjoyments and happiness. Uh, sometimes we're pinning our hopes on our possessions. Maybe not just bags of shopping, but, but maybe the stuff that we take as reliable, like our home or our pension or, or things that we're trusting in. Um, and when 
Judith and I have got some friends who were with them fairly recently and they don't have a home anymore and they're navigating what that looks like for them when their home has gone and their, their thing that they perhaps one of the things they were trusting in now isn't there. How do they function as a family without a home? And that's challenging for them, but they're looking to God who is their hope in that period of time. Uh, we can look to our own success or achievement or promotions we can look to our own emotions, that we're happy. And some people have a hope that tomorrow I'll be happy because today I haven't been and maybe I'll be happier. Or we can look to other people and what they think of us to find our hope. And, and I found as a pastor and, and reading through the Bible two particular concerns really that relating to this topic of hope. One is, is people who don't have hope. And that's a terrible thing. And my, my prayer today is that by the end of this message, you'll have hope and you'll know you've got hope and you'll be enthused by that hope. That's number one. Secondly, uh, the desperate sadness when I realize that I or others am attaching our hope to the wrong things. And that's desperately sad too because none of these things are our hope. They're nice things to have, but we can function without them. And... Um, we don't, we don't pin our hopes on these because they come and they go. Our possessions, however reliable they appear to us, can be gone in a moment. The, things, the thoughts and feelings of other people can be gone in a moment. Our own moods can be up and down and our, all of that can be gone. But the Bible talks about a deeper kind of hope. And I think the Bible reflects these two thoughts that we can lose our hope or, or that it can be in the wrong things. Firstly, Psalm 42 says this, Verse 5, put, why, my, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Now, just a slight tangent. This is a good practice to have, to talk yourself into faith, to talk yourself into hope. And if you find yourself having a bit of a mopey mood one day, don't sit and go, oh, look, I'm having a mopey mood. Why is the world so bleak? Do what the psalmist does in this place and say, come on, sort yourself out. Put your hope in God. Come on, I give myself a good talking to occasionally because I need it. You ever done that? Stood and given yourself a good talking to? Looked yourself in the bathroom mirror or wherever it is and said, come on you, sort yourself out. We're not having this. Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my saviour and my God. Secondly, this thought coming to the New Testament church. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God. Now, we're all excused from that, of course, aren't we? Because none of us are rich. Uh, until we look at the global perspective and we realize that we're probably all in the top 5%, maybe smaller, of the global wealth that is out there. We're all in this kind of category and, and all of us can tend towards trusting in stuff. And, and the Bible's saying, Paul's saying in that passage, put your hope in God. And today I want to look at the hope that we live with as Christians. The hope that we have in Christ and why it's so fundamental uh, for Christian living. When, when a child is approaching Christmas, some people will say to that child, what are you hoping for for Christmas? I want to change that question. What are you, not what are you hoping for, but who are you hoping in? Who are you hoping in? Through the ups and the downs of life, who is our hope in? The Old Testament, when we, when we read through the first two-thirds of the Bible, we see hope is defined as having a confident expectation that God is going to come through for us. And people look forward with hope. When we get to the New Testament, not surprisingly, there's a bit of a shift. 
when we get to Jesus, not surprisingly, there's an incredible shift that takes place because no longer are the people of God waiting for God to turn up. God has come. He's arrived and suddenly everything feels different. So in the New Testament, we get this sense that Jesus is our hope. He is our hope. Uh, Paul writes again, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. That's not the kind of hope which is, what are you hoping for for Christmas? Or I hope you have a nice meal when you meet with your family. Or I hope it's nice weather tomorrow. That's something altogether much more reliable. Something altogether much more substantial. Jesus, our hope. And the Christian faith is a hope itself. Paul writes again, that you pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. As followers of Jesus, we're called to a hope. That's amazing. And that's the shift that takes place as we come to the New Testament. We see how are we living as people of hope. Jesus is our hope and we're called to live with hope. And the truth is this, that before we became Christians, we may have hoped in all those things I have pictures of, but actually, in truth, we had no hope. Talking to those who were Gentiles and non-Jewish, Paul's writing again, in those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Now I would imagine that very many, many of those people who lived without hope didn't feel they were living without hope. They felt they were living with hope in all sorts of things. Hope that their next project would work, hope that their next business venture would work, hope in their next relationship, hope in all sorts of things. But actually, in truth, underneath that, there was nothing more substantial to rest on. There was nothing more reliable, more trustworthy, more secure. And all of it was like trying to keep on going on sand. You know, if, ever, if you've ever run uh, into the, onto the beach, you know, you get to those bits where the sand is compacted. It's been wet recently. And, and you can run quite fast on that. And then you get to those bits, not the stony bits where it's going, oh, ah, oh, ah, not those bits, but the bits where it's, it, the sand is much drier and softer. And you try running and it's, it's really hard, isn't it? You're running and you're not going anywhere. And, and occasionally you might get to a section where it's sinking sand. And none of us have been there probably, otherwise we'd, we wouldn't be here today. Um, but there's kind of all, you get it in cartoons a lot, don't you? This kind of sinking sand and, oh no, I'm disappearing. And, and unfortunately, too many people base their lives on things which are like that sinking sand which disappears. And the New Testament writers, Paul is one of these, is, is encouraging us to hope in Christ who's reliable and faithful and saying you've got this hope now in God but but not only that but he looks forward now this is one of the most challenging verses in the Bible Paul writing about the resurrection he says these words if only for this life we have hope in Christ we are of all people to be most pitied if only for this life we have hope in Christ we are of all people to be most pitied he's saying there that we have based our lives so much on the truth of Jesus, on his cross and his resurrection, we have given so much, we have bled so much, we've invested so much that if actually Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, amongst everybody that exists in the world, we are to be the most pitied. Because we've given so much for a cause that isn't true. 
He then, of course, goes on to say, but it is true. It's okay. Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, that challenges me. I don't want to beat you up with the same words I'm beating myself up with today, just since I asked this question, but I wonder what the consequence for us would be as 21st century Christians if Jesus hadn't really been raised from the dead. Would we be the most pitied of all men? That we'd given a bit of money away and we'd come to church on Sunday sometimes and we'd got involved in church activities. Would, would that really class us along with Paul as the ones who are to be the most pitied? I just wonder if there's a difference and that's challenging me as I, as I think about those words that maybe Paul had seen the hope he had in Jesus and said, you know what, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm trusting in that hope so much that nothing here compares to the hope I have in Christ. And I'm investing everything, even at risk of my present condition, for what I will receive in Christ. That's the kind of hope the Bible authors paint for us as a possibility today. And the New Testament does three things, and I want to, hopefully we'll we'll get to this today, and this will become clear to you. It presents three things. I'll do them this way around because I think that's the way it's going to be on the screen. The hope that we have in Christ now, uh, that has already been won for us, over here will be the hope that we will have in Christ one day when Christ returns, uh, and when we're, or we're, when, we're, when we're with him. And then right here in the middle is how we're living with hope right now. And I was thinking, how can I explain this? How does this work in the New Testament? And I thought of a picture of a bridge. You see, a bridge like this, is a kind of bridge that has an arch under it, needs to be anchored and based here, on the bank, and it needs to be anchored and based over here on the bank as well. Uh, and, and, it, and in the middle is where you kind of cross over. And we're in life through in this period where we're crossing over from what Christ has done to what Christ is going to do, and we've got to live in the middle. We've got to live in this, this section in the middle of, of life and existence. And so what I want us to see today from a couple of Bible passages, the hope that we have, our hope to come, and how we live. And I, I struggled as I was preparing this message more than some because there's so many passages I could choose. As I was reading through parts of the New Testament, I realized that these three aspects come together again and again and again. I'll show you just a couple. We're only going to look at two. This is 1 Peter chapter th- 1, verse 3 to 6. And I, you'd be grateful that I trimmed a load out because I just didn't have time to get them in. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that never can perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Let me just show you how these things play out. Firstly, the hope that has been achieved that we already have. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. That has been achieved and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. It's obviously there, isn't it? The, the life that we will look forward to, that inheritance that has been achieved is kept in heaven for you. Do we have it now? No, it's kept in heaven for you right now and we're shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. So there's a promise to come. There's hope to come and there's hope in what we have. So how do we live now? We live right now through faith, shielded by God's power, 
And we re- greatly rejoice, though for a little while we may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. The format didn't quite work. The blue should be on those bottom three lines. We greatly rejoice, so now we may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But we live as people of hope. Put that on a little table for you to see how it works. We've got the hope that we have, new birth into a living hope, inheritance that doesn't fade. We've got our coming salvation revealed at the last Tim, or time, I think it should be, yeah, time, there we go, on that one. An inheritance that's kept in heaven for us. What a great passage and confidence we have. And right now we're shielded and we rejoice despite the rubbish and stuff that goes on. Despite the fact that we're suffering griefs in many kinds of trials, why do we rejoice? Because we've got a hope and we're going to hope. There's hope on either side of us. And so we live with this incredible confidence in God that he is our hope. Our hope isn't in us. It's not, did you notice on that? None of it is because of us. None of it. None of it's about how good you are. None of it's about how well you pray. None of it is about how much you believe and, and all that stuff. It's just what God is doing for you and for me. And we live in that place as people of hope. It's amazing. And there's a link between them. Notice the new birth. We talk about being a Christian. If you're not a Christian here in this place, if you've not said yes to following Jesus, today's a great day to do that. Today's a great day to say, I want to start following Jesus here in this building in Tunbridge Wells today. I want to discover this hope that there is in Jesus. And today you can ask for Jesus to give you hope. Today you can say, I recognize that I've been living on the shifting sands of life and I need that kind of hope that Stuart's been talking about today. And uh, James would love to pray with you, as a number of people would, if that's you today, and you'd love to say yes to Jesus, then come and see him afterwards. But we talk about a new birth into a living hope. Notice the connection. We have, as Christians, a new birth into a living hope, but we wait for our coming salvation. Are you saved as a Christian? Yes. yes. But as I'm, am I going to be saved? Yes. yes. So it's both achieved already and we're still waiting for it. I'm waiting to be saved but I have confidence now because I am does that make any kind of sense if it doesn't then how about this we've got an inheritance that doesn't fade right now it's been promised to me have I got it no not yet it's kept in heaven for me it's fully mine no one's going to steal it it's secure and safe and it's in Christ and as another passage I want to just to um, show you, which is a very familiar passage. It's Romans 8. There's a lot in this. Um, Two pages of text, but let's see how we get on. And I won't run through it with the same number of pictures. We'll just go straight to the summary because it's just too rich. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. That's cool, isn't it? Some, I won't ask for a show of hands, but some of you will have been adopted. Some of us will have been adopted. And you'll know the significance of adoption brought into a family. And, and that's how it descri- the Bible describes all of us becoming Christians. We're adopted to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are God's children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. 
I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. Now, I'm just going to draw out those points on a table because it's easy to miss them when you get two pages of text like that. But have a look at this. So what do we have already? We already have the hope that we stand in, which is adoption to sonship. We're no longer slaves or in fear. We have been made heirs of God, and we have been set free from the law of sin and death. Can we have an amen to that? Because that's exciting, isn't it? I know, you're, I know you're taking it, we're taking it all in because there's a lot of text on the screen, but that is exciting. Now, let me just flip over to what we will have. I'm going to stand over here for this bit. We wait for our adoption to sonship. We will share in Christ's glory. We wait for the redemption of our body. How many here are waiting for the redemption of their body? Getting the new one, getting the upgrade. Yeah? How many of you woke up this morning and thought, oh, I could do with a new body? There's one coming. God's glory will be revealed in us. What a promise. In us. Look at us. What an amazing promise. This, this motley crew of people and people like us all across the globe. Redeemed and saved by God. God's glory is going to be revealed. And then creation will be liberated from decay. And we'll be brought into freedom and glory. We wait for all of that. That's all still to come. Now we stand. Where do we stand today? This is the bit you want to see. Where are you and I today? We're stood crying Abba because we are children of God. We are co-heirs with Christ if we share in his sufferings. If we don't and we just want the nice bits, then we're not sure. But we are co-heirs with Christ if we share in his sufferings. We have the first fruits of the Spirit and creation is waiting for the children of God to be revealed. So let's just track a couple of these bits across for us here. Notice that adoption has been achieved. We have been adopted to sonship, but... We still wait for our adoption to sonship. So I'm, I'm a son of God now, I'm a child of God, but I'm actually waiting for the full revelation of what that means and the full impact of all of that. So we can stand and sing today, Abba, Father, or we can stand and say, I am a child of God because I am. But there's more to come. There's more still to come as that fully is revealed, because some of that's in heaven kept for me. I don't have the fullness of that right now. I have what God wanted, wants me to have, and the rest of it is kept for me to stand before him one day and receive what God has for me, ultimately one day. Track another one through. Uh, heirs, is, is that one? Yeah, we've been made heirs of God. We are co-heirs now with Christ, and we're waiting for the sharing in Christ's glory, the waiting for the redemption of our body, and we're waiting for God's glory to be revealed in us. Um, all of those things we're waiting for. It's just amazing. There's still some good stuff to come. I think, I think we're seeing this, hopefully. So how do we live today? And this, this passage, Romans 8, is an incredible passage. Paul doesn't just leave it in those verses we've looked at. He goes on from there, and he focuses on this bit here in the middle. So how do we live today? How do we live with hope today in the world that's going on, that's exciting and has great opportunities? How do we cope in this world? He says these things later in this same chapter. This is how we live with hope. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For there are times when we don't know how to pray as we ought. 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. You know those times when you get stuck or you've not been praying? Life got busy and you didn't know, you, you forgot God. Or, or you gum to pray and you just don't know what to say. Say, God, I'm not good with words. I'm not good like so-and-so and so-and-so. And they pray such eloquent prayers. I don't know what to say. Do you know what? Right there and then, the Spirit has been praying for you and is continuing to pray for you. In those moments where you're stuck and you don't know what to say, he's already at work, already interceding. That's our hope. When we, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. When God called us, and right now he's working for our good in the midst of every situation. Finally, Romans 8 finishes with this great statement. If God is for us, who can be against us? What kind of hope do we live with today? We live with the hope that the Spirit's interceding with us, that God's working all things for our good. And if God is for us, who can be against us? That's pretty cool. You know, when we come up against obstacles... The solution to those obstacles is not minimizing the problem, but maximizing God in the problem. The three that are thrown into the fiery furnace, when the flames are heated all the hotter, in in the book of Daniel, their trust is not that the flames would cool down. Their trust is in one who's bigger than the flames. The trust is one who's greater, and their hope is restored in that moment. And my prayer for us Yes, I pray pastorally that all our concerns and difficulties would go, but actually I also want to pray that our hope would be strengthened in God, that our hope and our confidence, our confident expectation in Him would be strengthened because, do you know what the truth is this? The best is still to come. The best is still to come. These are the bits from that Romans 8 passage. We wait for our adoption to sonship. We will share in Christ's glory. We wait for the redemption of our body. God's glory will be re- revealed and creation will be liberated from decay. Do you know what? We, we believe in the Holy Spirit moving today. We believe that God wants to move in our lives today. I believe that God wants to do more of that than we've yet seen. I believe that God wants to have more of us completely devoted to him. Uh, that he wants to bring more healing more power of God encounters with us, even to the extent of raising the dead. I believe God wants to do that across the church around the world today. But as good as that will be, our hope is not that we learn how to raise the dead and so that they, are, they die and they're raised again and then when they next die, we raise them again and when they next die, we raise them again and when they next die, we raise them again and so we've got people living who've gone on a very long time and every time they die, we keep raising them from the dead. That is not our hope. Our hope is in one who says, one day this, this mortal body will be gone but you'll be renewed. There is a hope that's coming that's still kept for us. Do you know, folks, the best is yet to come. However good it gets now, the best is still to come. God promises full salvation for us and the whole of creation. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, if you've lost hope, if you were living with hope, but actually it's got lost, my prayer today is that you'd find it again. You'd find the one who is your hope. And you'd find confidence in him. And maybe, as, um, maybe there's an opportunity to pray. 
and receive that hope again today. Receive that confidence to confess perhaps that we've been placing it in the wrong things and to come to God and say, God, we need you. Maybe you recognize that your hope's been in the wrong things. Hope's in things that won't satisfy. It's in the next project, the next adventure, the next promotion, the next business venture, the next relationship, whatever it might be. And all of those things are okay. There's not, they're not necessarily bad things, but underneath them, our hope must be in Him, who is above and beyond all of those things. And then thirdly, our calling is to bring hope to others. And maybe we need to recognize that. So I want to pronounce a blessing before I just go on to the last bit. This is a blessing from Romans, and this is one of Paul's prayers. He says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May I read that again? If, that, if you want more of that today, then you respond in your own heart. I'm, I'm praying this over my life too. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Overflow with hope. You see, it's not just about you. My preach today is not just that you might have hope and that I might have hope. But as we go back to that passage in, in Romans, where were we now? There we are. Look at this bit at the bottom. Creation's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Creation will be liberated from decay and will be brought into freedom and glory. The promise we have is for the whole of creation. It's meant to overflow from us. The way we live with hope is meant to overflow so that others who don't have hope are captivated and brought into the kingdom of hope. Do you know the truth is this, that creation is crying out for hope. This is a verse in Psalms. The Lord is known by his acts of justice. God will never forget the needy. The hope of the afflicted will never perish. Do you know the truth is that there are people today crying out for hope and their cry will be heard. The time when Cain and Abel are, well, they're not falling out. They don't really get that far, do they? But Abel is killed early on in the biblical story. And what's God's word to Cain, his brother? Your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. It cries out to me. There is a cry for justice that goes on and is running throughout the world day after day after day. And I believe that every case of abuse, there is a cry for justice. In every case of mistreatment, there is a cry for justice. And all of these God hears. God is not deaf to any of them. He hears all of them. And the hope of the afflicted won't only, will not only never perish, but God will one day judge. And he will bring justice the hope of the afflicted is God because he's the only one who can bring restoration and justice and fulfill that hope. One of the hardest questions I've ever been asked was by somebody who had been abused quite horrifically. And as part of the healing process, well, they're just processing a whole load of things and they asked, turned to me and said, where was God? Where was God when? That was going on time after time after time after time. And I didn't have an answer right there and then other than to say, God will bring justice. 
It's not forgotten. Because I believe that's true. But then I discovered this passage. Jesus talking, giving his parable of the sheep and the goats. And he says these words. I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was, a thirst, I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't look after me. He'll reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did to one of the least of these, you did for me. Or conversely, whatever you didn't do for one of the least of these, you didn't do for me. Where's God when someone's hungry? The easy answer is, well, he's aware of it. He's, he's, you know, we've got the resources, we should share them. That's the kind of argument I've used in the past. This passage seems to indicate that God himself is hungry when people are hungry. Who's, who's thirsty in this passage? God is. Who's got nothing to drink? Who's the stranger? Who's the one who needs clothes and isn't clothed? Who's the one who's sick? Who's the one who's in prison? God is so powerfully identifying with the suffering that he says it was me that was suffering in that moment. Who was the abused person? It was God that was the abused person. Why is God so keen on on bringing justice? Because he identifies so much with the abused and the broken. He says, you know what? They did it to me. It wasn't you alone. I was there also being abused. I was also taking this. And that's, it just brings a weightiness to it, doesn't it? A seriousness to it as we see that God actually wasn't just watching as if he didn't care, but he's there in that moment also being abused and he will bring justice. He will bring hope. He is our hope. We can trust in him because there is a day coming when all of this will be wrapped up and the king will say, the king will say, Whatever you did for the least of one of these, you did for me. And he will say, come into your rest. All those of you that that applies to. So in our ups and our downs, in our, hope, in our natural hope and in our natural despair, who is our hope? It's our king. It's our God who is going to bring justice. He's going to bring reconciliation. He's going to bring us to a place where all the wrongs and misdeeds of this life are put to rest and are finally dealt with. Because he is our hope. I want to finish with that blessing again. Because I'm just, uh, just aware that some of those things I've just said towards the end may apply to you and they may just have opened up a real area of pain. And I want to pray this blessing over you particularly. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We serve one who brings hope. We serve one who is our hope. And today, as we embark on the rest of this week, as you go to work tomorrow perhaps, as you care for people who are important in your life today, I pray that we do so with hope, with a confidence that is not shaken or robbed away because we serve the one who calls us to hope and then causes us to overflow 
that those around us might be blessed. If you see someone in need today, be a blessing to them. Let your hope overflow into their lives that he might get the glory. Amen.